Dr. Catherine Isco may just be Perth's most confident woman. From facing an eating disorder, bankruptcy, and severe depression, Canadian-born Dr. Catherine, as she is known on Instagram, has harnessed these experiences to drive the incredible passion she has to develop and teach effective, evidence-based solutions to change people's lives. I am very happy to welcome such an inspirational, sunny person to the podcast. Okay, great. So Dr. Catherine, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. It is lovely to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So you are a confidence mentor, is that correct? That's correct. Well, that's what people call me. So I guess that's what I am. So what do you think confidence actually is? Uh, confidence is kind of like the magic ingredient that turns thoughts into actions. So oftentimes, you know, uh, we really focus on thinking more positively, but the fact of the matter is, is if you don't do anything different with your life, if you don't action different things, such as walking up to a stranger and saying hello, or putting your hand up to give the next talk, your life is not going to significantly change. You're always going to be living on the sidelines. So I truly believe that confidence is the stuff that makes your life different. Do you think that someone who is not confident will already know it? Are these, are the people you help seeking your help? Like, are they aware that this is something that they're lacking in? It depends on what stage they're at. Typically, the two sort of stages that I often hear from as in uh, hear from people are what I call hiding and willing. So the hiding is that stage where you you know your life isn't going the way you want it to, but you're not willing to put in any effort and you're still blaming things that are happening on the outside. You could be blaming, oh, I just have a dickhead of a boss, and that's the reason why my life isn't going the, well, uh, the way it is. It's because I have a certain health condition, and that's the reason why I, my life isn't going the way it is. When you get up to the stage of willing, that's when you're willing to put your hand up and say, you know what, actually, I need to take responsibility for my life, my life, my responsibility. And typically those are the people that I work with because at the end of the day, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So it's the same thing with people. If people aren't willing to take responsibility and put in the effort to change your life for the better, then I'm no magician. I can't be that person that just magically changes it for you. Mm. Now, we are all aware that with the culture nowadays, with the Instagram culture, people see selfies online, they see people living seemingly perfect lives. Do you think this is an epidemic of sorts? Oh, it's a good question because I think we, we've always compared ourselves to other people. I mean, even before social media, you know, when you saw an actress or an actor, you know, on television, you secretly wanted to be them because they had this perceived amazing life. I think now it's just a bit more insidious because it's almost like we live a majority of our life in social media rather than in our real life. So I think it's just in our face more often. And because of the use of filters and you know doctoring and apps and so forth, not only are we comparing ourselves, but comparing ourselves to impossible standards. As an example of this, I was recently as at a um, cosmetic conference and one of the one of the researchers there was uh, sorry, one of the surgeons there was talking about the fact that his 
patients would come to them with a photo of a selfie that had been severely doctored using like nose minimization and cheekbones and this and that. And they say, I want to look like this. And he had to respond saying, but this isn't possible. This, the only way to do this is through computer generation photos. And the person just couldn't understand it. They're like, no, I, this person looks like this. So I want to look like this. And so the reality, like their perception of reality is completely out the window. So that's when it becomes extremely prob- problematic. Do you think we should be discouraging kids from using social media when they're younger? I think, yes, up until a certain age, I do believe that they shouldn't be exposed to this simply because their brains are still developing and their perception of reality and what's not reality, that's a massive gray area for them. And I truly believe that we as adults need to be a bit more responsible for their development. Now, saying that, I think kids are definitely maturing at younger ages now. So the question is, what age is right? for a kid. And that's going to be different for everyone. But fact of the matter is, is whether you're eight or 18, it still can be problematic. So you have to have measures in place, no matter what age you are. And and even adults, I mean, I, I work with people that are 40 years old and are still affected by social media. So the fact of the matter is, is that we can all be susceptible to allowing social media to make us feel horrible about ourselves. What type of measures do you think will be useful? So I know that there are some things where you can limit the time that you are spent on social media. I think if you're a child uh, or if you're a parent and you have a child, you can um, have a parenting app where you can block access to certain sites. Are there anything that, is there any apps or anything like that that you would recommend if someone is looking at limiting their social media? Yeah, I think even more important to that, um, yes, there are parenting controls and so forth, but I would take more of an additive approach rather than a subtractive approach, meaning that you have to question what else is your kid doing and what else are you as an adult doing? You know, if you're, even if you're just scrolling on social media one or two hours a day, what else are you doing? Mm. to remain connected, to push yourself out of the comfort zone so you can actually learn more, learn more about yourself. So for example, we know for kids, sports, involvement in in sport is extremely important for developing self-confidence and self-esteem. So for example, it's okay if your kid is looking on social media But maybe get them involved in sports, get them involved in arts, get them involved in something so their self-esteem and self-confidence is not solely dependent on the number of likes they get on social media. And we can extrapolate this to adults as well. If your whole life depends on your social media account, sure, shiver me timbers, that's going to be a very precarious way to live because you're only going to be happy if you get the likes. Mm. That being said, do you think social media has good? Oh, absolutely. That's why I'm on it. I mean, I've been able, like just with my recent course that I've just launched, I have someone in California, I have someone in New Zealand, I have people on the East Coast. And the only way that this could have happened is through social media. I've had people, you know, that, that I've been communicating with for years and I've never met them in real life. And I love it. I love the, uh, the ability to meet people. I mean, that's how we met. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's great. I mean, again, you, you just have to use it 
in healthy ways. But that so, starts with not not living your entire life in a phone. Yes. So this course that you're talking about, is this the Waking Up Confident course? Yes. Yeah. We're, we're now in week one. So it's officially started. Up until this time, we've just been doing some sort of pre-course welcome, um, welcome content and people are already having aha moments and light bulb moments. And it's just a great group. You know, there's a couple of, you know, the class sort of clowns that are making jokes and stuff like that and keeping it lighthearted. And it's just a fantastic group. I, like every, every, every day when I wake up, the first thing I want to do is check in on the course. It's great. Oh, that's awesome. Are you, are you going to run it again after this? So it's 10 weeks? Yes. So it's 10 weeks, but really by the end of it, it ends up being more like 14 weeks because of the, the pre, the welcome content. And then we also have um, a reunion at the end. So we all become agents, agents of confidence. So you're no longer yourself. You become a confidence agent. So I'm Agent Roxalicious. <laughs> and at the 14 week, we have a reunion and we, we talk about our missions. We are, we're all going to complete a confidence mission. So it sort of goes on for a long time. And it's the kind of thing that I'm hoping that the people will be in it for a lifetime because it just creates a kind of mindset that anything is possible and can'ts turn into cans. Um, so the next cohort is going to be July 2020 and we already have a wait list for it, which is great. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So I remember, Catherine, because I've listened to you speak before in real life, that you've actually, uh, that you've mentioned that you actually had quite a different um, training. So you were a, you were in a, you had a science background. I did. It's all blood and guts, that kind of thing. So I started, I mean, very long time ago, I, I was in the culinary arts. I was a pastry chef and then I started a restaurant which went bankrupt. And then I ended up going back to school to give it a try. And I was always interested in sports and nutrition. So I did a sports science degree in physiology. And then I didn't know what else to do with my life. So I ended up um, I ended up going, uh, continuing in my master's in physiology. Uh, and then my PhD. And then it was only after really working with people that I realized I needed to get more training when it came to speaking to people, to counseling people. So I ended up going back to school to get my postgrad in counseling. So I, I find that it's a great mix of both physiology and psychology. Uh, but now I just want to do another PhD. <laughs> Can you tell me what that PhD is? Uh, the PhD would be looking at confidence. So what is, yeah. what is the secret recipe for helping people to develop confidence? Mm. Um, which seems so simple, doesn't it? Like it just seems like, hey, how do you just make people feel more sure about themselves? But it's really challenging because it has different reasons why they feel the way that they do about themselves. So. Yeah. That's actually interesting because when you were telling me that, I wasn't thinking that that sounds simple. I was thinking that that sounds really complicated. Okay. So, how, <laughs> so how did you get involved or how did you become interested in helping people find confidence? Uh, simply because I didn't have any myself. So for majority of my life, I relied on what my body looked like and what I looked like for my confident. And in my mind, I was thinking, okay, when I look a certain way, then I'll be able to do anything. I'll be able to get any guy I want. And at the end of the day, I would be happy because I would be loved. I would be loved for who I am. And I didn't realize obviously at the time that, you know, the outside is just the outside. 
there is a heck of a lot more substance on the inside that you have to work with. And at the end of the day, if you don't change your mindset, you're not going to change anything. You know, you can still be the most beautiful, the most genius person in the entire world. But if you still think that you're worthless, well, you're still in the same boat. And it's a very leaky boat, let me tell you. Mm. Have you got, um, I'm not sure if you're able to share this, but have you got any stories of, your, of, the fa- of people that you've worked with and how you've helped them and how confidence has made a difference in their lives? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Now, w- w- which one to choose? Which one to choose? <laughs> I remember actually when I first started consulting, this is years and years ago, even before my postgraduate I remember working with a lady and she was a horseback rider. And I remember asking her, you know, what is just one thing that you like about yourself? And she just couldn't do it. She just could not do it. Mm. And I remember in my office at the time, there was, um, there was a closet with mirrors. And I remember to look, uh, asking her to look over at herself in the mirror. And she looked at her thumbs and she said, I like my thumbs. And it seems like such a minor thing, but because she was a horseback rider, that's how she would hold the reins. And she said, I love my thumbs because they're strong and they help me ride horses. And it was the simplest thing and the smallest thing, yet that was a catalyst for the rest of her journey. Um, So I guess the reason why I wanted to bring up that story, that's the first one that popped up, is because oftentimes people at the beginning of their confidence building journeys think this is too big of a journey and it's just not going to be possible. So my recommendation would be just start with one little tiny thing. If you can just see a tiny bit of light in something about yourself and in your abilities, the the potential that you have to grow that over time is exponential. Have you ever found, now this is just a question that is popping into my head, but have you ever found that in some cases people mistake confidence for arrogance or cockiness Mm -hmm. overconfidence Mm -hmm. absolutely and um (laughs) great example of that is trump you know president trump yep you know this this so confidence is essentially if you if you look at the research definition it's being sure of something so for example you can ask a person hey do you think you're a good person and they might think yeah yeah i think i'm a good person but then you take them aside and you're like are you sure you're a good person? And then I'd say, oh, actually, now that I think about it, no. So that person, while they have high self-esteem, have very low confidence because they're not sure they're a good person. Yes. Conversely to that, you can ask a person, hey, do you think you're a good person? They say, nah, nah, I don't think so at all. And then you say, you sure about that? And say, yeah, damn straight. I'm definitely sure about that. So they have low confidence yet high self-esteem, uh, high, sorry, low, comp- low self-esteem, but high confidence. So the difficulty with this is for people who are verging on narcissism, yep. you know, this overconfidence, it's not necessarily a good thing. For example, Hitler was a very, very confident person. He was very sure that what he was doing was for the good of the world and the good of the country. And it wasn't at all. 
So this is when, you know, this, um, oh, what is that theory called? The uh, Dunning-Kruger effect, yeah. where we're essentially, you know, people that don't know anything think they're very, very smart. And this, you know, happens at, you know, first year med school and first year university. You think your shit doesn't stink. You think you know everything. And then, you know, year two, you have very low confidence because you're just thinking, I know absolutely nothing, even though you're <laughs> learning more. So it's it's funny how the brain works. Definitely. And and I can relate to that actually. The the more I learn, the more I realize what I don't know. <laughs> That's it. Exactly it. Now, I've heard you talk before about the concept of farting. And I believe you were on Channel 7 as the, um, what, what did they call you? The, the fart queen? The, yes, the queen of farts. The queen of farts. Could you explain what farting is? Yes. Yes. <laughs> in, in your context. <laughs> yes. Well, I love to actually fart as well. My, my, partner, <laughs> my partner doesn't really like me for that, but I am the queen of farts. Literally. In your household. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. So this concept started when I was about 23, 24. And at the time I was severely binge eating. And to make a long story short, I opened up to a friend. I was very, very reluctant to do so. But I said, you know, I binge eat whenever I'm stressed. And she said, wow, I do that too. And it was like we both had these enormous bloating uncomfortable farts and we both just let them rip at the same time and it was instantly relieving so i use the analogy of farts because we all sort of walk around try to be prim and uh, proper yet we're all holding in these thoughts these farts and fact of the matter is everyone farts just like everyone has negative thoughts so as Dr. Brené Brown talks about she's a you know famous researcher that talks about shame is the more you keep things secret, the more shame uh, has control over you. And the antidote for shame is releasing those thoughts, you know, exposing your thoughts uh, and sharing those thoughts. So that's why I started using this analogy as just a funny way to lighten up things that are very, 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 um, very confronting, very negative for a lot of people, very... Um, shameful really. So I do like monthly walk and talks where we fart out thoughts and ideas. And then I also have um, secrets. I was just looking over there. I have one though. Basically people write down a secret or just something that they feel guilty about on a piece of paper, but they don't write their name or identifying details. And they just, it's just to let that secret out. It feels fantastic. Have you heard of post secret? The, uh, oh, you mean that was like from the 90s, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So it was this thing where people would post their secrets anonymously to someone. And I think in the end, they published um, some of the secrets like with, with consent. And I, I read it when I was younger. It made a big impact because you realize that a lot of the things that people were worried about were things that you would feel yourself, but a lot of people weren't talking about it. 100%. And that's, you know, when I've collected thousands of these secrets over the years, and the funny thing is that so many of them are almost identical, identical as in verbatim. They're mm. almost identical. You know, I binge eat when I'm stressed. Um, you know, I blame, I'm blame my husband when I eat the family bag of chips. Um, you know, everything from sexual abuse to uh, I remember one one was that um, was a, um, an alcoholic and she pulled a knife on her family members mm. and couldn't remember. 
to being molested to, I mean, really, really serious stuff that these people are, are, you know, have these things burdening them for the rest of their lives. So you got to let that out. You got to fart. Yes. I love that concept. I think that's brilliant. Um, One of the questions that I ask, I suppose this is something that I'm actually quite interested myself and I've never had the opportunity to ask anyone about it till now. Um, Being female, what I, I mean, I can see on your Instagram that you like shoes, you've got a great, you know, sense of style. Do you feel that sometimes by expressing the fact that you like all of these things, male colleagues take you less seriously? Because I love makeup, I love dressing up, but some of my Instagram, you know, it's not always serious. But I worry that, and I, I've had comments made to me before about how I should spend time, spend less time on social media. You know, maybe I should become a makeup artist instead of a health professional. Things like how, is that something that you see commonly? Uh, it's not something that I've experienced, but I suppose it's, it's an interesting question because perhaps it's something that has been told to me or has been, I guess, recommended to me, but I I don't absorb it. Mm. Um, I guess because of after all these years of following what other people think I should look like and how other people think I should act and how other people think I should talk. I mean, before this brand, for example, I was working with this brand expert and she said, you know, you're a doctor, you need to wear the blazers, you need to talk a certain way, you need to think a certain way, you need to represent your certain, uh, yourself a certain way. So I was this kind of robot, you know, pretending to be some someone else. And she even said, you know, you have your doctor wardrobe and then you have your wardrobe. And here I was trying to talk about authenticity and mm. being honest, mm. yet I was two different people. I was like, F this. Mm. So when people see me, it's me. And if they don't like it, well, then I'm not for them in the first place. So move on. That's fantastic advice. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I suppose I just have one last question before we Mm. wrap up. Do you think animals, having animals help, helps mental health? I'm, I think I'm a bit biased, but like, if I could answer this, yes, 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 like a thousand trillion (laughs) zillion percent, I would say that yes. Yes. The, you know, the funny thing about dogs is no matter what kind of day you're having, they're always there with a smile. And it's, it's like having that constant companionship that I believe that so many of us are lacking nowadays because everything is, especially in, you know, the COVID isolation days, we're, we're all feeling a bit isolated. And just having that, that pet there that's always by your side, you know, even when you're not eating and unwrapping, you know, cold meats in the, in the <laughs> kitchen, they're still there for you. So, I mean, there's lots of research that supports the use of pets. I mean, if you look at terminal illness, um, if you look at, uh, for example, I can't remember what they're called, uh, you know, dogs that go into hospitals. Yes, um, yep. Help, it's not helper care dogs, helper dogs. Yep. Um, just the ability to reduce blood pressure to reduce cortisol levels, to stress levels and so forth. The research is there, but listen, we've always known that animals are awesome. Yeah, I've got two. I've got two dogs myself and I'm pretty attached to them. (laughs) I'm literally attached by the hip. Like even, (laughs) even when I have a nap, they have to be touching some part of my body. Oh, that's adorable. (laughs) Now, is there one thing that, if there was one thing that you could tell everyone, do you have a final message? 
The one that I always um, resonate with is because over the years I've heard so many stories and the one connecting factor to those stories are often that the people think it's their fault. It's my fault that I think this way. It's my fault that my life isn't going this way. And while we do have to take responsibility for how our lives go from this point onwards, we, we have to let go a bit of the blame for the things that have happened to us in the past. So, you know, those are things that happen to us, but they're not things that create us or make us as we move forward. So the one thing I would say is just let that, let, let the past go and really focus on the present and moving forward and forgive the people that perhaps maybe did you wrong or also forgive yourself for perhaps not making the best decisions in the past. I really truly find that that's the one defining factor that can either make or break a person's journey into the future. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Hi, Dr. Amanda here one last time. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you enjoyed this show, please join the conversation at facebook.com, a spoonful of oral medicine, and let us know what you thought of today's episode. You can also support the show by leaving us a like and review on Apple Podcasts or by sharing this episode with your friends and colleagues. Thank you again, stay well, and see you on the next episode.